know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from Sleeping Village in Chicago, Illinois, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Hello, Chicago. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I may have mentioned this several times, but I am from Chicago, Illinois. It's wonderful to be back here. Helen, how are you? I'm very well. I love Chicago. I am not from Chicago, uh, but I think it's such a beautiful city uh, when it's not negative 15 out. Yeah, yeah it's or really Or the humidity is really at gorgeous. 100 million percent. But today yeah. was absolutely lovely. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay present and, and live in the happiness of being in Chicago. Uh, I, should, I, I need to mention that I found out right before the show started from my cat sitter uh, that the kitchen in my apartment apparently is flooding. Oh. So, uh, this may be a cliffhanger. I may get a text at any any point during during the oh show boy. telling me that my cats uh, now are swimming. So, uh, <laughs> that'll be that'll be fun as well. C can cats swim? We'll find, we'll out. find out. Yep. Find out on the next episode we'll of Go Back to Zero. That's what we call a teaser. Helen, you have some exciting show business news. I do. I have some very exciting show business news, which I can share when this episode drops, which is that I'm going to be in the upcoming season of Silicon Valley on HBO. <laughs> How about that? So, Helen, what, Helen, what are we talking about? Like some appearance as an extra in the background? No. Maybe I like one line on one episode? I am in at least three episodes. I believe we call that a recurring, a recurring a story guest star. arc in the business. Mm -hmm. And I and I learned something uh, really awesome during this experience. Uh, firstly, everyone on the show is an amazing talent. I mean, I was I was like I got to I got to work with almost all the main cast, and they're incredible. But also, I was directed by Mike Judge, the creator of the show, who also created King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead and Office Space. And I did not know this, but he is a very handsome older man. Did he get more handsome the more days he worked on the show? Yeah. Yes, I thought, I thought as much. I just stared at him and swooned, and I was like, oh my gosh. But it's weird, because he's very handsome. He has these crystal blue eyes, and he's very handsome. Uh, but he sounds exactly like Hank Hill, <laughs> because he does the voice for Hank Hill, so he's like very mumbly and like doesn't really open his mouth. And, he's, and I'm like, oh my God, you're a hot Hank Hill. This is, <laughs> this is very, very weird. Which some say is redundant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Who? Who says? Uh, Who? You know, there's a, there's a there's a peg for every hole. Isn't that the phrase? <laughs> I'm uh, blushing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in similar news, I taped an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. No way! In 2001. <laughs> Helen, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is the artistic director of Story Studio Chicago and the author of several books, including The Great Believers, which was a finalist for the 2019 Pulitzer Prize. It's Rebecca Mackay. Rebecca Mackay. Hi. Welcome, Rebecca. Welcome, Rebecca. Rebecca bringing a cocktail on stage, which we always it's respect. It's a glass of wine. I'm a lady. <laughs> Ladies drink cocktails. <laughs> Rebecca, 
welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, in addition to The Great Believers, as Helen mentioned, uh, some of your other novels that people might be familiar with are The Borrower, The Hundred Year House, and Music for Wartime. Uh, the Great Believers, uh, much of it is set in Chicago. Why did uh, you choose to do that? Um, laziness. Okay. Um. <laughs> I think that's an underrated quality in a novelist. No, I really, I wanted to set a novel finally in Chicago. I knew I'd have a lot of other stuff to research with this. Mm -hmm. It's largely set in the 80s at the height of the American AIDS epidemic. That was enough research. I figured I could write about Chicago. I was surprised, though. I thought that I could go to the library and get some books on AIDS in Chicago, mm -hmm. and there were none. Really? It's all what, what is out there, and there's wonderful stuff out there. It's about New York and San Francisco. That's interesting. So, yeah. so, so uh, w where did you go to find more information um, about that time? One-on-one in -on -one interviews, and I hold up in the um, Harold Washington Library, and I just read every back issue of the Windy City Times from 85 to 92. Wow. And that, that was a, a gay-targeted newspaper? It's a, yeah, it was a gay weekly. Um, yeah, so it was it was fascinating because it's the you know it's the articles it's the editorials it's also like ads for VHS cassettes that cost eighty five dollars. Yeah, you kids today with the Wait, screaming VHS and VHS cassettes cost eighty five dollars. Oh yes. yeah, mm -hmm. well because they, they priced them for rental. I believe that was the phrase that they used. So they didn't want you to buy them. They wanted you to go to your video store and rent them. And so in order or you to would keep buy it the and then you'd be the person in your town who owned Amadeus or whatever, and everyone would come over and you'd screen it. Yes, you, like, you, neighbors are never more impressed than by a Tom Holtz <laughs> vehicle. Wow. Tom Holtz? Tom Holtz, either way. Uh, so you, uh, as, as Helen mentioned, the Great Believers is a finalist for the 2019, is it Pulitzer or Pulitzer? It's Pulitzer. The Pulitzer Prize, oh, I said ladies it right. and You said it right, Helen. I the did. Pulitzer Prize for Helen for that. Uh, how do you find out that you're nominated, and how do you find out that you didn't win? Twitter. Really? I'm serious, Did yeah. Nobody, no. There's not yeah. a call from the Pulitzer Commission? No. So here's what happens. Um, you know, so... It is done by Columbia University. You think that it's like the Pulitzer people. It's the True. journalism faculty at Columbia University in New York. And they have a little telecast thing where they announce the winners. And so I knew from that that I didn't win. I mm -hmm. didn't think I was going to win. But then I you know, was on Twitter like 15 minutes later. And people start tagging me, saying I was a finalist. And it was just random Wait, judges so you don't and find things. out that you're nominated until after the winner's announced? Yeah. We do not know how to run an award show there. Yeah. But I think it was better for my blood pressure. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know, the two weeks of knowing I was a finalist would have been useful. Wait, that's kind of annoying. Like, hey, you didn't win, but guess what? You almost <laughs> won. Well, they sent me a letter that I got, like, weeks later that was kind of, it kind of felt like a, a college rejection letter. It was, it was very <laughs> sweet, but it was like, we, you know, just to let you know, you right. were a finalist but you didn't win but we really liked your book and good luck and it was it was very sweet but it was it was a funny thing to get you think get the winner got a actual... big thick envelope and they knew before they opened it <laughs> like jumped up and down yeah. Yeah. what'd you do with the letter um, I think it's on my desk in an envelope under some stuff from my kids maybe yeah it's, screw it's, that letter it, no 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 it's, it's, it's lovely the whole thing is it's the best thing that's happened to my career it's just it's oddly anticlimactic mm -hmm. right to just get like you know here's a letter in the mail when you know that it, you know it used to be a telegram mm -hmm. and you'd like you know run did you go the out and celebrate your almost Pulitzer win yeah yeah. Like, what did you do? It was, what, well, I, I know found, she didn't have a cocktail. <laughs> uh, it was it was actually like late morning, um, but I was in a place with a lot of friends, and we had um, prosecco and chocolate. Yes, at, day at drinking. The of the day, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the best way. Yeah. Uh, tell us about Story Studio Chicago. Yeah, um, it's an amazing place. Um, anyone who is in Chicago or can travel to Chicago who writes, it's our. Um, nonprofit writing center for all levels, people writing any genre, any age, everything from one night to year long classes. Can you give us a, a short 
version of what you tell students who maybe think they have a book in them, but maybe are afraid to, to get it down on paper? Um, yeah, screen? no, I mean, oh, like who are afraid to even start writing? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people because you have this platonic ideal story in your head and the second that you start writing it, it's ruined. Mm. Like you get it out there and it just, you kill it by putting it out there. But that's to be expected. And your job for the next five years is to shape that mess into the closest thing to that original idea or the new idea that you had that might be a little bit more perfect. But it's terrifying because you have this awesome daydream and like it's perfect in your head and then you actually have to type it. Yeah. <laughs> and it stinks. But and that's kind of part of the beauty is that it's ugly for a while and then you then you make it into... Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, it says in your bio that you spent two years of your childhood trying to teach dogs to talk. Yeah. What... <laughs> How did that go? Um, <laughs> and what, what, what happened? I believed that it was going really well. Okay. Um, Wait, how old, how old were you? <laughs> oh, like five, six. Oh, okay. That's adorable. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was not, it was not recent. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, Although I, that, that yeah. book might win the Pulitzer. Oh, my God, right? Pulitzer, dang. <laughs> I think I was really, you know, they were, Coco, Coco the Gorilla was on TV a lot in the 80s. And then I just really, my parents were linguistics professors, and they, they talked a lot about how we make sounds and I just had this theory that dogs mouths were just the wrong shape and I was going to fix this for my dogs with certain exercises and this um, is very ambitious for I you know, at five. I really I would I would tell my parents that I they whispered things to me that then I not not psychotically just sort of she she whispered Merry Christmas I'm really sure that she made progress and my parents were really sweet and they're nodding <laughs> oh, when I was when I was little, um, my parents had like a snack shop in Brooklyn, New York, and we had a bodega cat, mm. and I would sing the theme to the musical Cats <laughs> to our bodega cat. Yeah, and I would do it in cat language, so I would go meow 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 meow, and I swear that cat understood me. Yeah. Did it sing back? No. Mm. Never, not <laughs> once. Well, maybe it's just not an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. That's actually very understandable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for being Thank here. You. Rebecca Mackay. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Rebecca be competing? He is an award-winning playwright, screenwriter, author, and journalist who for over 20 years has been the host of the Peabody-winning Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. It's Peter Sagal! Peter Sagal! Peter Sagal! Welcome, Peter. Peter Sagal. Helen is singing the Peter Sagal song. There is no Peter Sagal song. <laughs> and I just want to say, it's not the theme from Cats, Helen. It's memory. It's the big 11 o'clock number. Well, that's what I thought when I was seven All when right. I was singing it. But I will say, I you, no argument with you, you definitely have the pedantry that we are looking for in the contestant on this show. So. I think there's Very still well time done. to change one of your areas of expertise to Cats. Oh, uh, can we be, I have actually a question. I have yes. a question for Rebecca. Mm. So you were a finalist for this year's Pulitzer Prize uh, in fiction. What won? Um, the Overstory by Richard Power. Fine. That hack work. I, I, I just want to say that must be the best goddamn novel ever written because The Great Believers is astounding. Thank wow. You. Um, I, I just... 
I mean, it, it, I mean, I met Rebecca at this event we did last year, and I got a copy of her book. And you know how it is. You're like, oh, I met a person. I have a book of hers. Oh boy. <laughs> and you just start imagining what you're going to say to this person when you look at their work or see their play or whatever it may be. Oh, it was really interesting. What do you think of it? Um, <laughs> how do you think it came out? And uh, as some people know. And I read this book, and I'm sitting on my, my couch in tears because it is a, a, a work of astounding power. Thank you. And I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. You guys are supposed to be competing against each other. Uh, yeah. He's trying to he's not kill good. my will to beat him. He's, he's playing this long game. When she's holding it over me with the, you know, the, the <laughs> metaphorical axe with a killing blow, and I'll say, but I said such nice things about your book. <laughs> How could you, Rebecca? How could you? Uh, Peter, as Helen mentioned, of course, you were the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, a show on which Helen very often appears. Yes. That's right. So I thought I recognized you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this goes well and yes. you'll have me back. Well, uh, <laughs> now, uh, how does it feel? Because usually you were the one asking the questions of Helen. Helen and I would um, be asking questions of you. It, it's a little weird. I don't like it very much at all, frankly. Well, we've only got another hour or so to go, so that'll be, that'll be <laughs> swell. Uh, the prize on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, of course, is our listeners getting to uh, have their voice of choice on their uh, outgoing message. Uh, I imagine that you've done this several times. Is, uh -huh. there, is, there, is there a typical message that you tend to leave for people? Um, it's usually, hi, it's Peter Sagal, and I'm answering uh, Mary's phone uh, because Mary's out. But Mary won on my voice on, on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, so um, leave a message for Mary. And uh, I, because I am me, I cannot help but kibitz. <laughs> you go on so, and on. Uh, uh, so basically what they get is, hi, uh, this is Peter Sagal, and you've reached Mary, who won my voice on her answering machine, or voicemail, I guess, and this is all she wants me to say, which I find ridiculously boring. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I make up something. Like what? Like 20 if, uh, minutes oh, later. Oh, gosh, and I say, so, so Mary, Mary, you know, Mary right now is not it. Well, she's actually just listening to this because she frankly saw it was you. <laughs> and she's like busy, you know, watching Queer Eye, so frankly she can't be bothered. So just know that about your relationship. <laughs> and thinking upon that, leave a message. I mean, and, and so far nobody has complained. Well, I think that's a great, you know what? People hate getting voicemail messages. I think that will help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last I, I, sometimes I've actually said, I've said, don't bother leaving a voicemail message. No one listens to voicemails. What are you doing? <laughs> Uh, last thing I want to ask real quickly, uh, it says in your bio that you were on Jeopardy, and so naturally I assumed that you were on Celebrity Jeopardy, no. but you were actually were on I was Real on, Jeopardy. I was on Actual Jeopardy, and I, I, w I was on Actual Jeopardy, and I actually lost. Oh, how, how, how badly? Um, well, this was in 1988, um, and I had just moved out to L.A. to seek my fortune, which I knew was going to be coming very quickly, uh, given my natural talent. Uh, and I had just met a guy who had been on Jeopardy very successfully and said, you should go on Jeopardy. So I did the test. You have to take this mm -hmm. test and you answer these trivia questions and I passed the test and they invited me to be on Jeopardy and I went on Jeopardy and I could go on about this, but basically the trick to winning on Jeopardy is not knowledge because everybody has passed the test. They're all good at trivia. It's timing with the buzzer and I wasn't good at it. Oh. I didn't practice. So I kept buzzing in to try to get the answers I knew and missing so other people were answering those questions. And so then I would just try to guess the answers I didn't know. This will come up later in today's show. <laughs> and because I didn't know them, but I was desperate to try to answer something, I got them all wrong. So when we did the, you know, they did the thing, I said, well, let's meet our contestants. So Peter, I was like minus 400. 
And he said, so Peter, he says here you're a writer. I went out to Hollywood to be a writer. He says you're a writer. Have you, have you written anything? Uh, I was like, no. He said, well, how are you making your money? I said, well, I'm on Jeopardy. <laughs> and Alex Trebek said, well, that little minus thing in front of your number, that's a problem then for you. You need to change that. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, we promise on the show a humiliation-free zone, and we are very happy to have Mr. Peter Sago. Thank you, everybody. All right, Peter and Rebecca, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Rebecca, you told us you know a lot about the movie Clue. Audible Ooh. gasps in our audience. <laughs> audience likes that one. Let's see if this uh, follow-up does the same trick. The State of Vermont. <laughs> All right. Less, less. And The Furnace Girl Murder of Lake Bluff, Illinois. Which I wish we had Bill Curtis to say just that phrase. Uh, whereas, Peter, you said you know a lot about Chicago food culture, James Cameron movies, and running. All right, well, later on, we're going to ask some in-depth trivia questions about one of these topics for each of you. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, the Windy City. Ooh. First up in the Windy City is Rebecca. Rebecca, they are both weather phenomena with a lot of wind, but what is the difference between a hurricane and a typhoon? A hurricane and a oh, typhoon. Oh, okay. A hurricane, I think, is swirly. All right. It's like a, it moves in a circle. Okay. It's sort of a... Um, a circle swirly. Like a, like a tornado over the water. Okay. And a typhoon is more a giant storm that's like a straight line that comes in flat or a different shape. A different that shape. That is not could, a swirl. It could be a rhombus. Or it could a, be, yeah. yeah. Parallelogram of okay. some kind of, yeah. But it's, but it's not uh, swirly. Swirly. Not mm -hmm. circling and swirly. All right, mm -hmm. we have Rebecca's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Uh, Peter, what do you think? Hashtag actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actu it's well actually. It's well actually. Oh, boy. Apparently, uh, you're, you're the, complimenting... The difference, I actually know this, I think. The difference between... Uh, that's what you say before you get it wrong. But a hurricane is in the Atlantic Ocean and the, a typhoon is in the Pacific. Oh. All right. Well, this segment is getting long-winded. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's <laughs> table for the facts. Here are the facts. Just like in real estate, the important thing here is location, location, location. <laughs> Both hurricanes and typhoons are the exact same type of storm known generically as a tropical cyclone. And becoming a hurricane or typhoon once its maximum sustained winds reach 74 miles per hour but hurricanes are found in the Atlantic Ocean and in the Eastern Pacific near the west coast of North America while typhoons are located in the Western Pacific such as Japan that is right now uh, both hurricanes and typhoons in the northern hemisphere spin counterclockwise and in the southern hemisphere tropical cyclones spin clockwise this is an example of the Coriolis effect caused by the Earth's rotation that is not to be confused with the Coriolanus effect which is what happens when I see a boring Shakespeare play and fall asleep. <laughs> Helen, what does that mean as far as our scoring goes? I'm going to say two points for Peter. Two points for Peter. Very well done. Thank you. Up next in the Windy City is Peter. Peter, they both mean it's a twister. It's a twister. But what is the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning? A tornado Ooh. watch and a tornado warning. You can sort of figure it out. A tornado watch means that uh, the conditions are right for a tornado, but none has been seen. And a tornado warning means a tornado has been seen. 
Uh, all right, we've got Peter's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Rebecca, what do you think? He's right. I should give a different answer just in case he's wrong. So I'm going to say a tornado warning is um, um, when they play the siren. When it's it's very siren specific. Very yeah, siren specific. yeah. He's, yeah. I'm wrong. He he gave the right answer. Right. And, yeah. and is there a particular shape to that siren? It's like it's a swirly on? siren. It's a swirly siren yeah. as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, this segment needs to touch down. <laughs> Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. According to the National Weather Service, a tornado watch is an alert that notifies citizens that conditions are right for tornadoes to form. You use the exact same verbiage <laughs> that we had written down. <laughs> the watch usually covers a large area of many counties or even entire states. It is issued by the National Storm Prediction Center and it might last for many hours. A tornado warning is a notification that a funnel cloud or tornado has been sighted, either in person or on radar. It covers only the small area where the tornado is seen, perhaps just one county or just a portion of that county. It lasts a comparatively short time, the period while the tornado is active, and it is issued by a local forecast office. Now, that's right. Ultimately, what's important is that a watch means that you should be prepared to take action if necessary, and a warning means that it's time to take action and find shelter, or else a twister might drop a house on you. Lesson learned, Wicked Witch of the East. What does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? Wow, two more points for Peter. Peter is a clean sweep. (laughs) Helen, what does that mean as far as our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Peter Sagal has four points and Rebecca Mackay has zero points. But don't worry, those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Going into a bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's it's an actual conversation and sometimes it gets real. No, but my mother, I remember my. I remember when I got, <laughs> this is going to become a therapy session very quickly. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm in therapy. That was a great interview. Bullseye. Creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Rebecca Mackay with zero points and Peter Sagal with four points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Rebecca Mackay, chance for you to put some points on the board. Of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Clue, the state of Vermont, and the Furnace Girl murder of Lake Bluff, Illinois. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about the movie Clue. Yeah, I um, I think I discovered it. You know, it didn't really do well at the box office no, no, when I it came it was out. A big flop. It's a huge flop, and then it became a cult classic on VHS, where you could watch all three endings. And I just discovered it in the video store with my friend when I was like ten, and we watched it. I think you know thirty times in two weeks and I uh, just recently introduced it to my kids and they were like okay on it I, <laughs> I, you know it was okay um, but I, I, I love complicated um, I love I love the board game clue I love like stories and movies that you have to map out all the like it's a logic puzzle you know and what and was your favorite of the three different endings oh the last one the last one's the correct ending oh. I mean, oh. according to the VHS. That's right. Here's what so actually right, right, happened. Right. Yes. So when it was released for VHS, then it was like, okay, right. here's what really happened. Was but it $85? Um, I'm probably. Still obsessed. Probably. I'm obsessed. If we'd purchased yeah. it, I mean, yeah. instead we rented it again and again and again, which probably added up to $85. Uh, all right, great. Uh, next, you said you know a lot about the state of Vermont. Yeah. Um, I, I've spent pretty much every summer there since 1999. 
Um, and I just, I love it. It's a beautiful place. One of the lovely things about it is they don't have any billboards in the entire state. So you what? just drive. Th- yeah. Billboards are illegal in four states and that's one of them. What? Yeah. And so you just drive through and it's like, you can see everything. You just, everything's beautiful. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in New York City and I live in Los Angeles and like my yeah. whole world is just billboards yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Alaska, Hawaii, Maine and Vermont. Billboards are illegal. Wow. Wait, but how do you find out about things? Yeah, how do you um, know what to buy? Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's why cars are constantly careening off the road in Vermont. People are staring at Twitter to get ads. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a hazard. How do I know a personal injury attorney? Exactly. <laughs> Very good. Finally, Rebecca, you said you know a lot about the furnace girl murder of Lake Bluff, Illinois. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in Lake Bluff. It's like 40 minutes north of here. And so there's this, it's this murder that, murder slash suicide, but it really, it's a murder, um, that happened in the town hall in like 1928. And every generation of school children is taken through Village Hall to learn about civics. But all any of us remember is going to the basement and they're like, and here's where this body <gasps> burned. Oh my God. And that yeah. was your school trip? Yeah, like fourth grade. We went to the Jay's Potato Trip <laughs> We went to go see cats on Broadway. <laughs> That's why I've seen cats like 15 times. I swear everyone in Lake Bluff, Illinois knows so much about murder and nothing about civics. And why does it's it amazing. appeal to you? Um, it's unsolved. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating. It's unsolved, but everyone knows who did it, but not how. And it's just, it's unprovable. Wait, everyone knows who did it? Yeah. Who did it? Charles Hitchcock. Whoa. Is he related to Alfred? I know. No, oh. he's not, but he's, he's not, he's, he was a... He, he's not cool enough. He's, he was like a, he was a major jerk. But yeah, he, he totally did it. Wait, they took you as children mm-hmm. to the basement where this girl was murdered. Where she either burned herself limb by limb in a furnace or someone did it to her. Now, did they try to teach you a lesson? Was it like, and this is why you need to study? No, although it really happened because this guy she'd been dating, she'd been dating like a hypnotist. And he was this, you know, and he either hypnotized her into doing it. I think the lesson was don't date hypnotists. Well, I think that's I a lesson like that's we can all agree sound with. sound advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Oh, I got to call, make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're on hypnotismatch.com, Helen. I don't know if that's so wise. It's hypnotismatch.net. <laughs> oh, excuse me. All right, Rebecca, so to summarize, you said you know a lot about the movie Clue, the state of Vermont, and the furnace girl murder of Lake Bluff, Illinois. Uh-huh. Today we want to quiz you about the state of Vermont. Oh, God. Okay. Do you have a favorite part I of Vermont? I do. I like the, the western side of the state, Middlebury, and there's some lakes near there that we love. Yeah, Why do you go beautiful. every... Um, I met my husband there in grad school, really loved it, and we just, we needed to buy a house somewhere, and we didn't like Wisconsin, so we went back. <laughs> uh <Uh-oh. laughs> Chicago, I, think that, I thought that would get a lot of support. Sorry, but Wisconsin. Maybe things have changed. No, we don't like Wisconsin here. No, oh, oh thought, you like that? I thought yeah. the fact you didn't want to Yeah, live in Wisconsin, you guys. There, the there is a guy with a Green Bay Packer, Green Bay Packers shirt in the front row. Oh, wow. I should have noticed this before I (laughs) bear down Uh, all right well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the state of Vermont to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points but before that to let you show your love here are five trivia questions about the topic each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions Peter do listen closely because if Rebecca answers incorrectly you can steal by the way Peter how much do you know about the state of Vermont Bernie Sanders all right Here we go. He's from New York. Yes, really. (laughs) I'm from the area of New York called New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Question number one about Vermont for Rebecca. With fewer than 10,000 people, the capital of Vermont has the smallest population of any U.S. capital. What is the name of this tiny town? Oh, thank you. Okay, Montpelier. Ellen? (laughs) That is correct. That is correct. It is Montpelier. (laughs) 
Uh, fun fact, not surprisingly, it was named for a town in France. That town was called Paris. No, no, that town was called Montpelier. <laughs> Question number two. In addition to three U.S. states, Vermont also borders Canada, our neighbor to the north. Which province of Canada shares a border with Vermont? That would be Quebec. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Quebec for a point. We also would have accepted Quebec. <laughs> You're two for two, Rebecca. Here's question number three. Vermont has been the first in the nation in many ways, but which of the following five things was Vermont not the first to do? Abolish slavery, abolish capital punishment, elect a female lieutenant governor, legislatively legalize same-sex marriage, or legislatively legalize marijuana? Mar marijuana is in an interesting one because it's, it's like you can't buy it or sell it. You can just have it, which seems a little mm -hmm. weird. You just have to like... Akio it, Harry Potter style, and then you're right. So I will, I will take the hint. Helen, how about okay. that first hint? It was the first state to legislatively legalize marijuana. Okay, that's... Excellent. I, I, had, Rebecca. I had figured that out. Um, slavery is correct. Same-sex marriage is correct. So marijuana is correct. What were the other two choices? Other it was female lieutenant governor? Capital punishment or elect a female lieutenant governor? I'm going to say female lieutenant governor is not correct. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. Uh, Peter with a chance to steal. All right, so the remaining choices. <laughs> hey, totally I helped him out. I understand that. Okay. So the remaining choices, we know it's not legally uh, legalized marijuana, legislatively legalized marijuana, lieutenant governor. Uh, so the other ones were legislatively capital. Le legislatively legalized, legislatively legalized same-sex marriage or abolish capital punishment or abolish slavery. And those are all legislatively. No, well, I guess that's actually. complicated. Yeah, I know. Because I know, I mean, I know Massachusetts was the first state with same-sex marriage. Right, but it's, it's legislatively legalized. Right, and yes. so I think, so, oh. but that was like a state Supreme Court decision. <laughs> See, now I'm, I'm rethinking everything I said. All right, right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Capital punishment. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Oh. Wow. Excellent totally news. random. Excellent use of the context clues. Good uh, deduction. Very nice deductive <laughs> technique. Successful steal for After Peter. I said what three weren't, all right. <laughs> uh, in 1838, Vermont's legislator defeated an abolition bill by only three votes. If the bill had passed, it would have made Vermont the first state to abolish the death penalty, beating Michigan, which did so in 1847. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number four, Rebecca. Before Vermont became the first state to join the Union after the original 13 colonies, it was its own independent nation with its own laws and currency. What was the name of Vermont's currency? Oh, the currency. Um, you do have a hint available. If you'd like I to would like that, that hint. hint. Yes. Helen, how about that second hint? Oh boy. Hello, Governor. Why, this is what we call a constable in my country, based on the buttons on their uniform. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Professional actress. Professional. I'm going with the Vermont pound. Was it the Vermont pound, Helen? It was no, not. No, I'm terribly sorry, Peter, with a chance to steal. The Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> the Sterling? The, the Sterling. The Sterling Vic Dan Dyke, uh, Helen? Neither. No, I'm terribly sorry. It was Coppers. Coppers oh, the co what oh, like the a, oh, like a... Oh, you being a police... Yes, okay, yeah. got it. Uh, the, 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 I can't believe you didn't get that based on my hands. <laughs> yes. My amazing, we amazing hands. I think we were also uh, mesmerized by the specificity of the specific, <laughs> not just why the did you, part Why of did you go, like, Cockney rather than... Like, I you'll never get me, kappa! You know, that, the sort of Edward D. Robinson. I don't know. Yeah. Right. I, somebody might have suggested it to me. Okay. <laughs> somebody sitting next to me might have suggested it. I'm sorry, you don't, want to hear some, you don't want to hear Helen Hong say, Hello, governor! 
Let's see how you do on this one. Question number five. We're sure you know Vermont's state song, state flower, and state bird, but please tell us, what is Vermont's state marine fossil, which are also known as the canaries of the sea? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Um, they have a big problem with zebra mussels, but I'm thinking that's not it. The canaries canary of, of the, the sea. Yes. It's something that sings or whistles. It's like a um, a whistle fish. It's like a um, a singing whale. It's a. Uh, you're nodding at me. I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> I, just, I just love the. the I, I'm just. Uh, I know those aren't correct. I'm developing my animated series about a singing whale. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's the singing. I think it's the singing um, porpoise. Helen, is it the singing porpoise? <laughs> It is not. <laughs> no, I'm terribly sorry. Peter, with another chance to steal. I'm just going to name like the only marine fossil I can think of and say the trilobite. Is it the trilobite, Helen? It is not. No, the we're, actually, we're, we're on the right track. It is the beluga whale. Oh. The beluga whale, which does have a, a, a fancy song. When a beluga whale is a marine there's, fossil? There's, there's, well, that's insulting. Funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> uh, it is the only state fossil of an animal that is not extinct. Because uh, the fossil was uh, discovered and then the, the animal is still alive, which should make us all very happy. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> Go Beluga Wins! Yeah. Uh, you still did quite well on that round, but now it is your expert level question that requires oh multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. <laughs> nice. Gotta love Chicago. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. We started by asking about the capital of Vermont. We're going to finish by asking about the people who served there. So for up to Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> that winning attitude is always shining through. For up to three points, who was Vermont's first governor, who was its longest-serving governor, and who was Vermont's first female governor? Okay. I think the first one, the first governor, I think was Chittenden. Chittenden, all right. Um, the longest-serving governor... Let's go with Phil Scott, who's the governor right now. I know that's not true, but that's another governor whose name I know. All right. The female governor, we're going to go um, Lacey McGee, which Lacey? is a name I've made up. Okay. <laughs> it still could happen. You never know. <laughs> Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via phone from her home in Shelburne, Vermont, is an author, ambassador, and three-term governor of Vermont. It's Governor Madeline May Cunin. Governor Madeline May Cunin. <laughs> governor Cunin, are you there? I am here, and I've been... Listening intently to all the great answers that you've gotten. Well, thank you so much. Go Governor, uh, can you explain why Vermont has a state marine fossil that is still alive? <laughs> I haven't studied that. I don't know why, but I think they found, they found the bone somewhere. All right, so that was, that, that, that was not the platform that you ran on, the Make Beluga? No, it wasn't a campaign issue. Okay, okay. <laughs> Listen, in my defense, I don't get to vote in Vermont. And right. I just want to say, oh. I would, you sound lovely, and I would vote for you, even if it were on oh, a Beluga Whale you. platform. Yes. And in that case, I would know more about who I could have voted for. Yes. yes. Well, we'll talk about your governor experience in a moment. But first, uh, I want to mention, as Helen mentioned in your intro, you are an author. Your fourth book is called Coming of Age, My Journey to the 80s. Uh, why did you want to write about uh, turning uh, 80 years old? Well, because uh, when I left politics and I became a poet and a writer, and I just felt sort of liberated that I could write about things that, as a politician, I couldn't talk about. And uh, I wrote poetry and prose, and 
I'm surprised and delighted to find out that a lot of people resonate with what I write about aging and uh, the changes that affect your body and your emotions and your life. And uh, also that it can be a happy time Absolutely. for new discoveries and ideas. Well, what about being in your 80s is different than you might have expected? Well, that you can still keep on enjoying life. Um, certain things throw d slow down, but you can still enjoy a new music, a new novel, new friends, um, and that makes life a continuous adventure. It doesn't stop at 80, and I'm actually, I guess I can tell this to you, since you, nobody else will hear this, <laughs> that I'm actually 85. 85. Oh, wow. And going strong, Splendid. sounds like, as well. Now, uh, you've written books, and uh, you give lectures about women in politics. Uh, how do we get more women in office? I think that's something we can all agree we'd like to see. Well, the more you... You see, the more you get, uh, and this has been a very exciting time for women in politics because women really have felt motivated uh, to go in there and do something. And when you look for what you should do running for office or helping somebody else run for office is the fastest and most effective way to create change. So we also have a program called the Merge, where women are recruited and trained for running. Uh, you know, they they uh, get practice in public speaking and fundraising, and uh, we've had a very successful Emerge movement in Vermont. With 83 percent of the women who went through the program got elected. Wow! Not just ran, but got elected. That's amazing. You also served as the Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Education and as the U.S. Ambassador to Switzerland. Uh, being an ambassador to a country that is politically neutral, is that easier or is that harder? I think it's easier. Um, and I, I, I was born in Switzerland, so it was kind of my life came full circle. Mm -hmm. When we left at the outbreak of World War II, um, my mother and my brother and I we never dreamt that I'd come back as a U.S. ambassador. So, in a way, it's the American dream uh, writ large. But um, I think the best job in, in public life is still that of governor. Uh, Did you have anything to do with the fact that there are no billboards in your state? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you noticed. Uh, no, I didn't, unfortunately. But you and didn't. I think it was a Republican who got the idea. But it has, it's worked beautifully, and uh, I don't know why other states can't do it. I guess the billboard lobby is very powerful. <laughs> sure it is. Uh, you were a state legislator for three terms and a lieutenant governor for two terms before you became the 77th governor. What, what did it mean to you to be the first female governor in Vermont's history? Well, it's exciting. You know, it's, uh, you don't have predecessors to look to, but most of the job of governor is the same for men and women. Um, you have to deal with roads and emergencies. But as as the first woman, I made more. I placed more emphasis on issues like childcare and healthcare, because women naturally reflect their life experiences just as men do in public life. 
And as a mother of young children, I naturally gravitated to those issues. I knew how important access to childcare was because I lived it. Mm. And that's why I put a lot of emphasis on issues like that. Mm. Do you know Bernie Sanders? Yes, he actually ran against me once. <laughs> I know him quite well. And, and you, you beat him. I beat him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it was Governor. A three-way race. Yeah. He he ran as an independent. He was an independent then. Did not claim to be a Democrat. <laughs> he ran against me as a Democrat. So let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Rebecca. We wanted to know first who was the first governor of Vermont. Helen, what did Rebecca say? Rebecca said Chittenden. And Governor Cunin? She's absolutely right. That's one point for Rebecca. Yes! Thomas Chittenden? Uh, we next asked who was the longest serving governor of Vermont. Helen, what did Rebecca say? Rebecca said Phil Scott. And Governor Cunin? <laughs> Howard Dean. It was Howard he Dean. And uh, he became governor when he was lieutenant governor. Richard Snelling died while in office, and that's why he stepped up. All right, so no point there for Rebecca. <laughs> Finally, we wanted to know who was Vermont's first I'm female... I'm so sorry. <laughs> we wanted to know who was Vermont's first female governor. Helen, what did Rebecca say? Rebecca said Lacey McGee. <laughs> 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 I think you knew that was made up before she told us that. Uh, what is the correct answer, Governor Cunin? Well, at the risk of being very egotistic, <laughs> Madeline Cunin. Yay! Madeline May Cunin, yes. Indeed. Yes. Is there anything you'd like to say or ask of our uh, expert while we have her here? I would just like to say thank you. And she's that this is, you know, someone starts talking with that kind of experience and that kind of wisdom, and you're just in awe. And now I need to go read everything she's written. And yeah. From, from author to author. <laughs> uh, Governor Kunin, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Um, MadelineKunin.org. And. Um, I'm sorry, I can't see the audience. I can hear their laughter, which is wonderful. Well, we're, we're all very happy that you joined us. Thank you so much, Governor Madeline May Cunin. Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Rebecca Mackay has three points, and Peter Sagel has five points with a round of questions coming up. That's okay. right. We're going to talk with Peter about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Rebecca and Peter will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Have you ever watched a movie so bad you just needed to talk to somebody about it? Well, here at the Flophouse, we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. We'll watch it and we'll talk it. We do the hard work. Featuring the beautiful vocal talents of Dan McCoy. Stuart Wellington. And me, America's rascal, Elliot Kalin. New episodes every other Saturday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast, dude. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Rebecca Mackay with three points and Peter Sagel with five points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Peter Sagel, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Chicago food culture, James Cameron movies, and running. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Chicago food culture. I kind of know a little bit about Chicago food culture, but I wanted to bring it up just so I can continue what has become a, my life's work 
which is to convince people not to eat deep dish pizza. <laughs> Surprisingly wow, responsive. Wow, uh, this crowd Chicago crowd agrees with yeah, you. Yeah, I know, but it's because you are from Chicago. Right. And well, most Chicago, most people, this is not entirely true, but most people who eat deep dish pizza in Chicago are tourists. <gasps> in the same reason they, you know, eat cream-based clam chowder when they go to Boston or drink uh, whatever, the whi- Irish whiskey when they go to San Francisco. They've been told that's what people do. We don't do that. <laughs> that's how and I got suckered. I know. Everybody gets suckered. And, and I mean, there is deep dish pizza, and it really was invented here, but the real reason I dislike deep dish pizza or I want to keep people from eating deep dish pizza is there's so many more better things to eat in Chicago. Yeah. And yeah. it drives me crazy. Thank you. And it drives me crazy that people will come here for two or three days and enjoy our wonderful, beautiful city, of which I have become extremely proud and somewhat possessive of. And what they decide to eat is 4,000 calories worth of semi-soft melted cheese. So really, this is uh, more of a public service than it you're is. trying I'm, to I'm, win a I'm, quiz. I'm, I'm, if you choose that topic, I will get all the answers wrong, but it'll have been worth it as long as I could go on my usual The selfless piece. Peter Sagal. <laughs> All right, Peter, you sounded more like a crusade yeah, than a really public is. service. Yeah. Well, let, uh, you also said you know a lot about James Cameron Yeah, movies. we were talking about stuff, and I realized I gave you some serious answers, and then I realized this is something that I think about every now and then. I like all the great directors that have ever been, and in my lifetime, I'm an old man, so there have been a bunch, I've, I, and, and there's like Scorsese and Spielberg and all, all the greats. The only director whose movies I have all seen in the theater is James Cameron. Interesting. I've seen every movie he's ever made, and I saw them in the theater. And what is your favorite? I mean, his best movie, just in terms of its quality, is Terminator 2, mm-hmm. which is really great. But in, just in terms of like the pure inventiveness of it and the way he was able to do it in a budget and the extraordinary cleverness of it, you have to go with uh, Piranha 2, which I did not. Thank you. Wait, which I have not what? only not seen in the theater, I've never seen it. So there, I just, I just made myself a liar. Mm-hmm. Wait, he made Piranha 2? Yeah, he was this low-budget guy working for Roger Corman. And he made, Termi- he made Piranha 2. He was, he was just going to grind out these movies, grindhouse movies, when he came up with this idea for The Terminator. And one of the great th- I could go on about this, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's great about The Terminator is the very concept of The Terminator allowed him to make it on a low budget. When Michael Bean, as the soldier from the future, says, oh, well, I couldn't bring back anything. They say, where are your ray guns? And he's like, I couldn't bring back any ray guns. That's why I don't have any ray guns. That's why James Cameron didn't have to pay for ray guns. So it's, <laughs> it's really smart. When you make the rules, you can kind of control exactly. the budget. Exactly. Wow. So, so anyway, so yeah. Oh, great. All right. And finally, you said... I gotta you... go watch Piranha 2. <laughs> you know, it really, it really answers a lot of unsolved questions from Piranha 1. And I think yeah. that's what I appreciate most about I, it. I, 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 actually, I actually kind of like Titanic far more than you might think I would, being a, being a hard-hearted... Yeah, that surprises me. I yeah. know. There, I mean, I could go... Again, I could go on, but let's continue. All right, well, let's continue. Uh, you also said... Can your heart go on, though? Yes. Huh? Uh, wow. The best in the business. <laughs> you also said you know a lot about running. I do. Well, I like to think I know a lot about running, but I had to say that because I wrote a book about it. Which some would say is cheating, picking a topic uh, about which you wrote a book. How yeah. do you feel about that? Well, 
I don't say that. Some, Some people, people say might it. say I that. S- I say it. Helen said it. Right. Okay. So I, I, I probably what's probably happened is you've said, oh, we're going to pick this topic you wrote a book about, and then I reveal that I don't know anything about running, and the printers will all pulp the book. So. All right, very good. Uh, uh, by the way, I actually have completed two marathons myself. Mazel tov. Uh, both times hospitalized afterwards. No, really? Yes. What happened? Uh, the first time I, w- I was feeling a little woozy, so I went to the medical tent and I, I lay down on a cot and uh, I threw up on a volunteer. <laughs> and apparently that's a hospitalizable offense. Uh, wow. And then uh, the second time I actually completed the marathon successfully, I flew to Vegas to do a gig, and as I was zipping up my suitcase, my back just turned to, to mush. And so I was hospitalized for that as well. Wow. So, Wait, yeah. uh, how many marathons have you run, Peter? I have run 15 to date. So 15 mar- marathons to date, and what's the name of the book? The name of the book is The Incomplete Book of Running which is uh, an homage to uh, Jim Fix's great book in the 1970s, which influenced me as a very young man, called The Complete Book of Running by Jim Fix. Uh, all right, so to summarize, Peter Sagal, you said you know a lot about Chicago food culture, James Cameron movies, and running. Today we're going to quiz you about Chicago food culture. I knew it. All right. Am I, am, I, am I allowed to ask the audience for help, or is that against the rules? That is definitely totally against, against the rules. Yeah. Uh, totally against the rules. Totally against the rules. Audience. Yeah. Please Zip be very it. quiet when we, a- when we ask these questions. I'm sure many, if not all of you, will know some of these answers, but let, uh, let's let Peter fail on his own. Um, <laughs> now, you travel with the show with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. All the time. Uh, how, how, do, how does Chicago's food culture compare to other cities' food cultures? I think it's the greatest food city in America because yeah. we both have our own things, which are distinct to Chicago, but we also have food literally from all over the world. So obviously we have Asian food, we have Italian food, we have European food, but we also have Eastern European food. A huge Eastern European population here, which is something you don't find, say, in San Francisco as much or L.A. Mm -hmm. If you eliminate all the states with the border of Mexico, i.e. California, Arizona, New Mexico, Uh Texas, we have the largest Mexican population. Meaning that we have fantastic Mexican food. Uh, which, I mean, which has a lot to do with the amazing number of great Mexican chefs here, and also Rick Bayless, mm-hmm. who sort of who lives here in Chicago, created Frontera Restaurant, and sort of justified the whole notion of Mexican food as being something worth studying and, and enjoying. So, yeah, I I think Chicago is the greatest food city in the world. And if you come here and eat, you eat deep dish pizza, Again what is wrong pizza. with you? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, as someone who lives in almost Mexico, i.e. Los Angeles, I say, bueno. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what can't she do? Uh, when I was researching this category and we were coming up with the questions, it made me very, very hungry. I know. Uh, all right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery with our expert-level question. Before that, we're going to give you a chance to show off. Here are five trivia questions about your topic, each with one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Rebecca, do listen closely because you can steal if Peter gets any Oh, wrong. I plan to. <laughs> well, Rebecca, how much do you know about Chicago food culture? A lot. All right, we got a game on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was like cold eye. That was yeah. like Yeah. Like, I, I, stuck I got to me, New Jersey more, boy. I, That's what that was. I got more chills from that than that whole furnace girl thing. That was something. All right, here we go. Question number one. As you mentioned, Peter Sagel, Chicago is bursting with authentic cuisine from around the world, often clustered in neighborhoods full of people from that part of the world. For example, Artopolis, Santorini, and Athena are three great places to get a certain ethnic cuisine in what Chicago neighborhood? Greek town on Halstead Street. Everybody knows this. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. That's a point for Peter Sagel. <laughs> Apparently, everybody knows that. Everybody knows this. Question number two. Chicago also offers its share of fine dining with some of the country's greatest restaurants, but only one restaurant currently open in Chicago has earned the rare three Michelin stars. Which one? Alinea. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Alinea. 
Uh, the chef there, of course, is Grant Ackett, who our listeners might know from the Netflix show The Final Table. You're two for two, Peter. Here's question number three. Chicago has its famous treats, too, like the delicious Garrett's popcorn. And in 2017, Garrett's took on another one of Chicago's famous treats when it purchased the rights to what brand of candy? Oh, oh, God. Oh, I was about to turn to you and say, oh, you know this. You do have a hint available if you'd like oh, to What is the hint? hint? Helen, how about that first hint? The mint candy became famous for being made. Yeah, that's Frangos. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Frango mint? Yeah. The rest of that hint, of course, it was famous for being made in the kitchen of Marshall Field's department store. Right. Uh, fun fact, though, Frango is associated with Chicago. They were first made in Seattle. You are three for three, Peter Sagal. Here's question number four. Folks outside of Chicago might be surprised that Chicagoland has an iconic chain of 17 southern fried chicken shacks. And while many Chicagoans might know the chain we're talking about is Harold's Chicken Shack, can you tell us what was the founder Harold's last name? I, what, can I ask a hint? Because I have no Helen, idea. how about that second hint? He shares a last name with the 14th president of the United States. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Wait, I thought I, 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 for some reason, I think Lincoln was the 13th, so I'm going to say Johnson. Harold Helen, is Johnson. it Johnson? It is not Not Johnson. Johnson. Rebecca with a chance to okay, steal. Okay. Lincoln was 16th. Buchanan was 15th. Who was 14th? I think it was Pierce. Helen? That is correct. That is, oh! Wow! Whoa, what a steal from Rebecca Mackay. That was an amazing steal. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wow. The public radio host did not know the president <laughs> question. I didn't know. <laughs> no, just an observation. No, no, no. Very, very good. Very good silver with Rebecca. Uh, uh, fun fact about that. Uh, the logo of Harold's Chicken Shack features Harold chasing a chicken with a hatchet. Yes. <laughs> we you don't f*** around. Yes, <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> just in case you're not sure what you're eating and how it happened, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wow. Peter Sagan, let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. No hints available, so let's see how you do here. Chicago loves food so much, it sometimes celebrates holidays named after them. So while in New Orleans, they call Fat Tuesday Mardi Gras and throw beads, Chicagoans really know how to celebrate, naming the day for a Polish jelly donut and eating a lot of them. What is the name of that day, and what is the proper spelling of that delicious Polish pastry? <laughs> okay. So Guys, the, it's so a number five. Silence. It's supposed to be difficult. Right. So Remember wait a minute, the wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay. wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes. Um, Pachki. Okay. Although I'm spelling? not pronouncing it right. It's but it's it's it looks yes. like Pachki. <laughs> okay. P A like Z K C I something like that. Well, is that your answer? Uh, I'm never gonna get any closer than than Pachki. So I'm gonna <laughs> and, go and the with spelling that. Spelling again was P A. P A. I'm gonna hodge. It's Polish. It's just. Like, <laughs> It's just a wow. series of consonants, none of which are pronounced. I have no idea. Well, we do need an answer, so just pick, pick I, I, I'll three. say P-A-C-K-I. -P I'm going to go for that. Helen, is it Pachki and P-A-C-K-I? It is Pachki, Pachki, but it is not P-A-Z-K-I. Mm. That means Rebecca has a chance to okay. steal. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go P-A-C... Z-K-E. Helen? That is not correct. No, you were very close. Uh, uh, it's Ponchki, and it's P-A-C-Z-K-I. Uh, you got the consonants correct, but not that final vowel. Did any of you know that? You did? Yeah. You knew the spelling? Yeah. Really? Very. 
Because he's right. It's just a series of consonants. It is. It is. Well, you know, like the old saying goes, it's Z before C except after A. So really, it's just very easy to think about. Uh, fun fact, in Poland, Ponczki Day is celebrated on the Thursday before Fat Tuesday. Uh, also, by the way, Ponczki is a valid word in Scrabble worth 23 points without a premium square. Stop. Uh, now, Helen, he did get Ponczki Day correct, more or less. Would you like to give him a half point? Nah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I can't wait to go to the next taping of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You realize vengeance will be mine. (laughs) (laughs) We expect nothing less. Okay. All right. Uh, You did pretty well in that category still, but here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. The spelling Pochki was not enough? Now it's going to be harder? You didn't spell it. (laughs) By the way, just so you know, now you know why I never pay Trivial Pursuit, because (laughs) I just become the worst. (laughs) It is now time for your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Nice. We will be bringing on an expert to assess your response. It's all about deep dish pizza. No, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) I think there'd be rioting in here. We we did contemplate giving you a taste test and having to identify which one, but it just doesn't seem happy for anyone. All right, you, Peter Sagal, yes. once said Chicago is all about the hot dog. True. And that authenticity in Chicago is found in the hot dogs and sausages. So, for up to three points, what hot dog and sausage seller recently celebrated 80 years of serving its Maxwell Street Polish sausage? What meaty eatery started in 1963 with one Chicago land stand and now has over 60 locations, including two in California? And in what company's hot dog hall of fame will you find both establishments? Okay. So the first question was... The one that uh, recently celebrated 80 years of serving its Maxwell Street Polish sausage. 80 years. Oh, man. Because I know... Oh, I'm guessing it's this place way in the north side. I've actually owned... Because it's a family-owned business that goes back 80 years, and I've met the current owners, and they're lovely, and they're Jewish, and I can see it, and I've been there, and my wife loves it, and I cannot think of the name to save my life. And I'm not allowed to steal anymore. You're not allowed to steal anymore. Mm. Sorry. And so I'm going to pass on that. I, I just got nothing. The next one, the, the one that started as a stand and is now a chain with 60, that's right. got to be Perillo's. 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 And uh, Perillo's? Perillo's? You, uh, you might want to think that one out just a tiny bit more. Oh, really? Maybe. Really? I'm trying to help. All right. So it's not Perillo's? It's, uh, it's, not, it's not entirely not Perillo's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Of course. Sorry. I, I heard the groans. It's Portillo's. 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 Okay. Portillo's. 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 That's sorry. what we're settling on. Portillo's. Okay. Yeah, sorry. And what was the last question? The last question, uh, in what company's Hot Dog Hall oh. of Fame will you find both establishments? It's got to be Vienna Beef. Okay, so do you, would you like to try to give any answer for the first one of the 80 oh, years one? Uh, gosh, uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna go, oh, wow, I'm like totally blanking. Sure. All right, I'm going to go for a place that I don't think is the right answer, but it's a great hot dog stand on the far west side. I'm going to say Gene and Jude's. Gene and Jude's. All right, Helen is taking note of all of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is the author of the book, Never Put Ketchup on a Hot Dog, and for over 25 years, the senior vice president of Vienna Beef, it's Bob Schwartz. Bob Schwartz. <laughs> Over. Hello, Bob. Welcome. Nice to see you. Say hi to the crowd, Bob. Oh. Hello. Chicago loves its Vienna beef. Oh, am I right? Nice to see you, Bob. Uh, now, so for those outside of Chicago, tell tell the people listening about Vienna beef and why it means so much to the city of Chicago. Well, Vienna beef has uh, been part of the Chicago uh, culture really since 1893, the Columbian Exposition. 
And the idea of Chicago hot dog stands actually started about 90 years ago. Actually, there are 30 that are still operating that have been in business over 50 years. Wow. And this is one of the reasons that I started a Chicago Hot Dog Hall of Fame uh, about a dozen years ago. And it was kind of just saying thanks to all those folks that brought Vienna to the dance with them. Um, my book was a book that paid homage to the uh, Chicago hot dog stands and the passion and the people behind it, and I didn't win a Pulitzer either. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of fun doing it, and it was a labor of love, and it was reprinted a few times. Now, one thing I noticed when I when you were going around Chicago, uh, not just that all of these wonderful hot dog stands, but so many of them on their signs say Vienna beef. Well, you know that's great marketing, but it started <laughs> it started out really in the 40s when there were people that were uh, the guys that coming out of the service and looking for something to do we had uh, somebody by the name of Henry Davis who was kind of like if you remember it's a wonderful life he was like the George Bailey he's a guy that lent some money lent more advice and uh, expertise on how to open a hot dog stand and uh, part of the rewards was uh, having Vienna supply him with product and we put up the signs with that logo, right? <laughs> For our listening audience, Bob is holding up a uh, Vienna hot dog uh, t-shirt. That's right. And uh, also Chicago fire dogs. So uh, these are for you. Oh, oh lovely Peter Sago. How wonderful. As Helen mentioned in your intro, you've been at Vienna Beef for 25 plus years. Actually, you... I've been with them twice as much as that. Wow. Oh, is that right? Tell us I about have, that. Uh, I've been, uh, I started with them. Actually, I was a kid that grew up in Cleveland, and they moved me here in 1972 or three, and, um, and you know, it's been ever since. It's been a love affair with Chicago. Terrific. Okay, so how come, I'm like, I'm afraid to ask this question. How come you're not supposed to put ketchup on it? First of all, it is full of sugar. And there's three different kinds of sugar in, in most ketchup. And oh. you add those together, and it's the number one ingredient. And what that does is, besides the, the acidity, in it, it overwhelms the hot dog oh. itself. Now, there are some hot dogs in some cities that probably need ketchup. <laughs> you know? But uh, I think I think Bob might be the vice president of throwing shade. Oh. Uh, actually, I was at a place yesterday, and it's called Herm's Palace, and it's in Skokie. And the guy said to me, he says, "Here, look, this lady over here just ordered a, a hot dog with ketchup on it." And the way he presents it, and I took a picture of it. There's the hot dog with ketchup on it, and on the wax paper. He has a frown face. <laughs> and wh why specifically is that a Chicago thing? Because uh, it seemed to be so well known. Because I wrote the book. Oh, okay, that's why. Oh. <laughs> you write the book, you make the rules. That's terrific. Uh, now, Bob, settle, uh, please, if you can, as a, as a professional, as an expert in this, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> I say that it is. No, I'm leaving. Believe it or not. I'm, I'm flipping a table and I'm leaving. But <laughs> it, it is because you are enrobing the meat <laughs> in bread. 
And who doesn't hear love him, a good enrobing of beef, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> well, he's correct. He's absolutely yeah. correct. You this think is, it's a sandwich? Oh, I, I actually, yeah. uh, I will refer you, if you Google Peter Sagal is a hot dog a sandwich, you will come to a site uh, that's called The Takeout, run by my friend Kevin Pang, and you will find a, 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 a honors thesis, a PhD level <laughs> thesis on why a hot dog is a sandwich with reflections on the origin of the sandwich as invented by the Earl of Sandwich, the existential nature. I, I dropped the name of Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> I'm not kidding. On brand. Yes. On brand, that is what I do. And it is a goddamn sandwich. All right, hot I, take. I will not be reading it because a hot dog is not a sandwich. Now, Helen with, Helen, with all due respect, you do say that as a vegetarian. That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Bob, it's wonderful uh, to have you here. It's wonderful to talk about your book. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Peter Sagal. First, we wanted to know what hot dog and sausage seller recently celebrated 80 years of serving its Maxwell Street Polish sausage. Helen, what did Peter Sagal say? Peter said Gene and Jude. And he was wrong. Bob, would you like to tell us if he was wrong? He was wrong. Okay. <laughs> what is the correct answer? Jim's original. So no point there. Let's see how you do with this one. We asked, what meaty eatery started in 1963 with one Chicago land stand and now has over 60 locations, including two in California? Helen, what did Peter say? Peter said Portillo's. Bob? It is Portillo's! <laughs> I would say, well what I tell people is Portillo's is not the best Chicago hot dog, but it is a perfectly good Chicago hot dog, and if you come to Chicago and that's your choice, you're, you're perfectly fine going there. Do they agree? do a great job, and people go there for the experience as much as oh, anything yeah. else. I mean, the, they're the only restaurant chain in the country that does more volume per location than Portillo's is really the Cheesecake Factory. Mm. What? And don't go there. <laughs> that's <laughs> Well, I have to say, uh, we, uh, we mentioned, of course, that there are two locations in California. One of them is in Buena Park, which is very convenient for me because I go to Angels Games. And there it's a great go. place to stop on the way to Angels Game. I like to get their uh, Italian beef sandwich. And there it is. And they're very good. They make their own Italian beef. And Vienna makes their chili for them. And they carry our pickles. Wonderful. All right. Finally, we asked, Peter, uh, in what company's Hot Dog Hall of Fame will you find both of those establishments? Helen, what did Peter say? Peter said Vienna beef. And Bob Schwartz? Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> ah, another point for Peter. Uh, Peter, is there anything you'd like to ask of our expert while we have him uh, here? Gosh. I, actually, what I would like you to do, I have a lot of questions, but I would like, because I don't know if people know what a Chicago hot dog is. And I was mm -hmm. hoping you could describe the, the platonic ideal of a Chicago hot dog. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of interesting. There was a place just down the street uh, that closed last year because he kids graduated from school and somebody offered him a lot of money for the property. And it was Murphy's. Oh, I uh, love that place. And Murphy's. And I had lunch with Bill Murphy the other day. And he said to me, you know, the real way to make that Chicago hot dog is... You, you have the hot dog in the, nestled into that, that steam poppy seed bun, mm -hmm. and then you spread the mustard inside the hot dog, where the first bite, he says, you get the meat and a kiss of the mustard. <laughs> and I feel voila. like I'm listening to Fifty Shades of Grey really? right now. Yeah. <laughs> a little... Yeah. May I? A little hot under the collar. Oh, yes, I believe it's it is. very sexy. Yes, I believe that would be. I would believe that is called Fifty Shades of Grey Poupon. <laughs> <laughs> that gets a groan. 
<laughs> Bob, if people want to find out more about Vienna Beef or the Hot Dog Hall of Fame, where should they go? Well, you can go to ViennaBeef.com, and you can uh, find out about our latest Hall of Famers that we've put in. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, I relished the opportunity to have <laughs> Mr. Bob Schwartz. <laughs> Don't hold my puns against him. Thank you, very much. Thank you Bob. Helen, what about a score recap as we go into our final round? At the end of that round, Rebecca Mackay has four points and Peter Sagal has ten points. Whoa! <laughs> All right, you got some catching up to do I here. Know. It is now time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Rebecca and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each <laughs> statement is, well, <laughs> it, it won't not determine Will it, it. really? Yeah. This will confirm the winner. <laughs> and again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Mm -hmm. I can see why you're a good writing teacher. <laughs> Here we begin. Rebecca, the game of softball is very similar to the game of baseball. True. Correct. Peter, baseball uses a bigger ball than softball. False. Correct. Rebecca, the game we now call softball was first played in Chicago. True. Correct. Peter, before it got the name softball, it was called diamond ball. False. Incorrect. No, it really was. Rebecca, before it got the name softball, it was also called kitten ball. True. Correct. Peter, the ball in that first game was made from a kitten. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I hope false. <laughs> Correct. Yes, of course Thankfully. not. But it would be the cutest softball in the world. <laughs> Rebecca, the ball in that first game was made from a boxing glove. True. Correct. Peter, some softball leagues in Chicago use a 16-inch ball. God, yes. It's true. <laughs> Shockingly correct. That's right. Uh, Rebecca, there is a 16-inch softball hall of fame. False. Incorrect. No, there really uh, is. Peter, it's, it's near where I live. I'm sorry, go on. Peter, the 16-inch softball hall of fame is in Chicago. No, it's in Forest Park, near where I live. False. Well, they, on, their, on their website it says Chicago, so. Oh, he said false, Ellen. Incorrect. No, it is true. It really is in Chicago. And finally, Rebecca, the 16-inch softball hall of fame was formed by merging the 6-inch and 10-inch softball halls of fame. False. That was just for fun. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests. Peter Sago, Rebecca Mackay, as Helen tabulates Thank the final so score. Helen, the suspense is killing us. Are you ready to announce the winner of today's show? I am at the end of the game. Rebecca Mackay has eight points, and Peter Sagal has 13 points. A very respectable showing for Rebecca, but congratulations, Peter. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? What will I do with my championship? I'm going to go and get a goddamn hot dog. Damn right he is. All right, that just leaves us the chance for our guests to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Rebecca, what do you have going on? Uh, my paperback of The Great Believers is out, and you should read it. And or listen to it on audio or something like that. Something and, yeah. like that. It was wonderful to have the yeah. almost Pulitzer winning yeah. Rebecca Mackay. <laughs> I, I should be so lucky to be an almost winner. <laughs> Mr. Peter Sagal. Uh, well, after you read The Great Believers, because it's a much better book, uh, my book, The Incomplete Book of Running, is coming out in paperback this fall. Mr. Peter Sagal, wonderful to have you, sir. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've seen her do it all. You are so, so lucky to have as my hosting partner, Ms. Helen Hong. Hey! What do you have going on, Double H? You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com. You can follow me on the socials at FunnyHelenHong because some other biatch has at Helen Hong. <laughs> so don't follow her, follow me. I'm the funny one. She's not bitter, she's funny. She's Helen Hong. <laughs> 
Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank very sincerely Rebecca Mackay, Peter Sagel, Governor Kunin, Bob Schwartz, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for scheduling tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like BNL Fan Matt did. He said, I love this show. It brings the funny and delves into topics which become interesting no matter how little I know about them. They're coming to Chicago and I am going. <laughs> Binnell Fan Matt, are you here? He's here, ladies and gentlemen! I never get to say this in person. Thanks, Finnelfin Matt. <laughs> Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton. Comes to you via transcription from Sleeping Village in Chicago. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Nick Kakonis of Alinea Restaurant and Talk Reservation Services. Dee Dee Cummings at Green Writers Press. Greg and Mona Yeager. Juan Carlos Linares. Christian Malmine, Clint Tauscher, Cody Lawrence, Steve Kometko, Tom Kometko, Rafael Leone, Dave McKeever, Natalie Van Stratton, Sarah and Paul Maritato, Victoria Sanders, Eric Tran, and Billy, Kyle, Kyle, Kristen, Alejandro, Johnny, Gina, and everyone else here at Sleeping Village in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, everybody, it's Jay Keith. Don't miss the next episode of Go Fact Yourself with our guest, Greg Barrett. Uh, yeah. Greg, how long have you been doing stand-up comedy? Well, it's been about 30 years. It's about so. 30 years. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yep. And it's just amazing to me the, the, the journey that you've had since then with writing and mu uh, music and life coaching and, and all sure. that. And on top of that, I think maybe one of your greatest accomplishments, you beat cancer twice. I have beat cancer twice. Wow. Yeah. 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 Open with age, follow up with cancer. <laughs> and uh, I will definitely win the pity vote tonight yeah. if, there, if there is such a thing. And Quinn Cummings. While I'm getting dressed for the Oscars, my mother and I are having the fight that a 10-year-old and her mother are having. <laughs> and my mother snaps at me, do you have a speech if you win? And I turn back, yes! And that was the last thing we said to one another <laughs> wow. until we got to the Oscars. That's Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday here at Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.